0: morning the following show is intended for mature audiences viewer discretion is advised welcome back coffee with the john season three episode two i was gonna say i don't know what you're talking about episode so um we are back like i told you before this is not happening every friday this is happening as needed as the data comes out information but today we got a really fun good episode for you guys we're going to be talking about uh a relatively new real estate strategy that's going around. It's called Novation Agreements. Um, It's actually not new, but there's a lot of people pushing it. Uh, There's talks that it's a scam. There's talks that it's something that can replace wholesaling. So we're going to cover the whole thing on Novation Agreements. We're going to be talking about new marketing channels that you can use to generate deals in 2022. We're going to be covering, uh, wholesalers and the dilemmas that they're facing interest rates, the issues with, uh, the Ukraine and Russia oil prices, everything. So we're going to be hitting this episode is going to be full of fun information. We have a few listener questions that we're going to be, uh, covering as well. So with that being said, if this is your first time watching, make sure you hit that subscribe button as we do this consistently. And every week we're putting out new training material. So everything is free. Everything is here to help you guys out. So I am your host, Jonathan Barbera. And with me as always is our co-host, Mr. John Barr. How's it going, sir?
1: Great. We got some awesome weather this week. You know, it's gonna really makes us appreciative. I'll still tell you this week like weather like this really makes me appreciate. The weather we have in Texas. We only have like two days of this bullshit. Oh, sorry. this Just crappy weather like that. Because otherwise, we got where I grew up, it's like three months of this stuff. So now it's like, hey, you get two days of it, and then next week, it's supposed to be back over the 70s. It's like, oh, I can't believe people actually live places where it's cold like this for long periods of time.
0: They're just truly really missing out. I'm sure they disagree. Mm, um no, <laughs> no,
1: no. Not by the immigration
0: trends. Everyone's going to Florida and Texas. Well, that's, that's not because of the weather. But... Going to uh, talk about a little bit of everything. We've uh, got our new build that we finished up. We just wrapped up, put it on the market. Um, gone. Finally. Gone. How quickly? That weekend. Monday. Monday. Listed on a Thursday, sold on a Monday. Very nice. And full price offer or did we, coming under? Over. Coming-
1: off. we had two, uh, we had multiple offers come in and then there was actually uh, um, a creative little agreement that Keller Williams put out with from their in-house counsel. They hmm. said just to compete with multiple offers where they put an offer in and they add an additional addendum to it. It says, if in the is of multiple offer, we will beat the highest and best offer by five, by X number of dollars. And they put 5,000 for us up to a certain price. So I was like, huh, that's pretty creative. To put that in there. it's like, so that that's where the people just say, hey, any highest and best offer, like I'll go five grand higher. Right. And they, up to a certain point, because this one was, I'm not going to give the, too much of the details, but uh, uh, see, your wife even agrees. She needs a son.
0: Yeah. I mean, it kind of yeah. makes you think though, with an offer like that is what we were saying is, so when you're putting in, you know, we're willing to go five grand over your highest offer up to this point, it's what's going to make anybody not want to have somebody submit an offer for five grand under what their highest number is. You know, like I agree. That's shady. That's, you know, whatever you want to say that being said, how do you prove that, you know, they did in bad intention or, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I think know. it, it kind of creates like, yeah. that environment of like, you know, you're, well, it's you're immediately the first thought. And, and we know there's like, a lot of bad players. Out
1: immediately there. the first thought. And we didn't do that at all. We were still under what their highest best was, just FYI. Uh, but it, it is one of those. It's like, yeah, like anybody can put any kind yeah. of offer. But it's also just kind of like, well, you look at the ethics of something's like, is that ethical to do? No, not really. But it's like, but also like to your point, like, how do you prove it wasn't a legitimate offer? and yeah. it's kind of like, i i don't know it, it, that's where i when i looked at that i was like it just seems like anybody's willing to like disincentivize like hey raise your offer to x so this person's gonna raise their price to x exactly Go above like yeah but in today's market or it's like yeah people just want houses that's
0: what they can do like they're they, they're like i don't care i just need it so. i mean and all that being said it's one thing that if you've been watching us for any amount of time we always say the same thing like you got to be ethical. You got to be a good person. You got to have at least a clear conscience. If you have a conscience, um, that you can't be going around screwing people over, you know, and even just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. And it's something that if you're getting an offer for what you wanted, or even more than what you wanted, don't get greedy. You know, don't, don't be that person that just pretty much sets those, uh, Bad expectations of why investors are so terrible and all these things because of you bad apples that always act the wrong way. Yeah. So we're not condoning it. We're, we are seeing the, you know, the potential problems with it. But that being said, it's an interesting market that we're in for sure. So remember if you're new to this channel, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Uh, We will be doing a property tour right after this, uh, I believe around 1130, we'll be doing a property tour of that new construction. We're going to be discussing pretty much everything from when we picked it up to all the issues that we went through and everything that we did to build this home. Uh, If you want to be a part of it, just text property tour to 210-794-9898. And of course, you got to live in San Antonio or at least be in San Antonio at that time. And you'll be more than welcome to tag along and ask whatever questions you want. Now, novation agreements. What's okay. That? I don't know. It's, it's hot. It's trendy. It's, the cool, it's what cool kids are doing. So- and the- I just like
1: how somebody explained it to me. It's like, it's nothing new. It's just something the gurus are pushing now because they ran out of things to sell training on.
0: So it was brought to us by uh, owner of one of the uh, the brokerage that we're a part of. A few of his agents had brought it to his attention and he told us about it. And I started doing some research because you and I, you know, we're huge on creative real estate, right? That's what yeah. we've built a whole business around is being creative when you're structuring deals, subject tos, doing raps, you know, owner financing, uh, seller lease backs, whatever needs to get done to get the deal done, to help out the homeowner, to make sure if you are flipping it, you're providing a good product. Creative real estate is, is the backbone of our whole business. Right? So when I heard of this, I was like, well, okay, let's check it out. Right? The more research I did into Novation Agreement, and please, this is a disclaimer, we have never done a novation agreement. Uh, we have no plans anywhere in the near future of doing a novation agreement. So, this is this is just research that I've done. Please do your own. Consult with your own attorney. You know, all the Disclaimer jargon, that that you, I all <laughs> the disclaimers that go in the bottom, we're not attorneys, accountants, veterinarians. So, please consult a professional. That being said, every research that I was pulling up on novation agreement. All the pros came from gurus selling courses on innovation agreements, you know? And that to me was just one of those things that like sends up a lot of red flags, right? When the strategy that's so cool is only vouched by gurus that have the unique contracts and the special terms that you need to execute this agreement. And I'm like, hmm. And then the people that have brought it to us, Uh, as far as like to our attention, they're not known for being the most ethical investors and doing what's right. You know, they're known for doing shady shit. So all these things put me on edge of like saying, man, I don't know if this thing is good, but I do not want to make up my mind yet. So I, I wanted to make sure that I did some good research. So basically a novation agreement has been around for the longest time. What all it is, is there's a purchase and sell agreement already in place. And then you are replacing that original purchase and sell agreement with a new purchase and sell agreement. So that's what a novation is on a very basic, basic term, right? The majority of the time a novation agreement is used on commercial real estate. That's where you see it more often in residential real estate. It's a very rare occurrence, except if you're one of the students of these gurus, apparently <laughs> their students make millions of dollars a year doing innovation agreements. Um, but from my understanding, you need power of attorneys, you need to put a lien on the property, because the whole premise of, of, of this agreement is that you have a seller that you are saying, hey, I'm going to, let's say the seller wants 200 grand for the house and the house is worth 300 grand. This is an example they gave. So, and you, your offer as an investor would have come in at 157. They're like, I'm not going to take that one 200 grand. Okay, this is where an novation agreement comes in. So you go into agreement with the homeowner saying that, okay, you're going to get 200 grand. I'm going to do the work that I need to do to the property, right? To get it to be worth 300. I'll sell it for the 300. And anything between the 200 and 300 is mine. But you never close on the property yourself. You never take title. You never take anything to the property. You, that's why you do a power of attorney. And then you're supposed to file a lien. Or you know, some gurus are saying you should have a a set amount that you want to walk away with. So if you say you know at two hundred, I need to put twenty thousand in repairs, and then I'm I want fifteen grand of profit, right? You need to state that you get your repair money back and the fifteen grand of profit. So that's kind of how they explained it, right? The issue I have, I mean, well, first of all, what's the issue that you see with that? If any, well, the way you explained it is like, I mean,
1: there's just a level of risk to it. Like for me, I mean, I would just close on the property (laughs) or like, you just have this risk of that person. Like, what if they died? Your power of attorney shot, like you can't do anything because that person's now dead and now it goes to their heirs. and Now your money's tied up in that thing. Right. It's where like yeah you got to lean against the property you eventually get it back but if you borrowed that money or if you put your life savings into it to try to make this deal work like something were to happen to that person it's like there's just such a huge level of risk and I mean I've heard of people doing this all the time it's called a joint venture yeah I mean like there's nothing it's just a different term for that and I've I've known people that have done them and they've done them successfully yeah but it just it's like, if I just rather close, I could see where it'd be useful of like, hey, hard money is very expensive to get. You have a mortgage underneath this thing at, or you have it free and clear. So why do I need to go borrow this money if I get 200,000 in quote unquote free financing to where that would be beneficial that way. But it just would come down to the level of risk you're taking to where it's like, hey, I, I could see doing something like that if I only had to put a minimal amount of capital into it. And that's mm-hmm. the, the risk to it. But that it just like. Yeah. The
0: the way the one of the gurus that was pitching it was, uh, his name is, what the hell was his name? Pace Morby. Pace Morby. So he has a YouTube channel, everything. And he's, you know, he, he, this is where he makes his money is teaching, uh, novation agreements. And please, again, keep in mind, I'm not saying I'm against novation agreements or anything. I'm just putting out there what I've researched and what I've gathered and our points of view on it. Right. So one of my concerns is you're not taking title to the property. Therefore, you're not doing any title search for it. You're not checking out, is there even a clear title? Is there any liens? Does this person yeah. even have the right to sell that home? Yeah, Like you're not doing any. And you know, I mean, we you come should. across it. How often with the properties we come across, that's like when we, when we run titles like, wait, you're not the one that's allowed to even sell this house. Yeah. What are you doing getting contracts, Yeah, right? that's, a, that's where I just look
1: at it. i just like, I, I don't know. I, I could see where it'd be useful uh, in certain scenarios, but it's not a end-all to be-all marketing strategy of how you can do this with no money down kind of ordeal, which is, I'm sure that's how it's being pitched.
0: Oh, it's 100% how it's being pitched. It's the like it, because, you know, you say, why not just buy it? Well, you got to have the money for that. Okay. You got to have the money for well, to rehab too. So. Yeah. So if you don't have the money for the rehab, right? Let's say you personally, because this is a no money down kind of thing. You don't have the money for rehab. You are going to get a loan. And that loan, chances are, is going to be in a second lien position because the majority of people have a mortgage. So which lender is going to give you a second lien position on a property you don't own? No, I mean, that's what I said.
1: Like, you would need to do exactly like you said. You'd get it under contract. You have a contract or somebody do a full title search to the thing. You get a power of attorney. You get documents drafted up. You, I mean, it's a, it's just risky. It is, I like, there's an unnecessary level of risk that I think is being marketed in a way that shouldn't it shouldn't be. But there are, I'm not saying there aren't certain scenarios to where it makes sense to do something like that. Yeah. Like the joint ventures, I mean, they just say like, hey, it's, I'd see it being useful. It's like, it's really too tight for me to really want to mess with for what price you want. But I could see your point of like, yeah, I could see where this could be worth that amount of money. So it's like, I will do it to where I'm going to put in $10,000. Fifteen thousand dollars, and I want three times my profit back, and then the rest is yours, whatever it may sell for.
0: That's a joint venture. The, the pro-
1: yeah, but the problem is, like, who determines that sales price? Exactly. Who determines who has the power? The ultimate power comes down to the person that holds the title. It needs to be their signature, even though like, oh, I can sue them. You could. Well, who's gonna pay for that? Well, who's it, gonna, you can't. Fo- you can force somebody to get rid of a property, but that's a very expensive property process yeah so it would have to because we've done it, one of these deals before with us uh, partners out of austin to where they put the money up to do something and they wanted three times back and then after that they we they split the profit afterwards yeah i was like those happen all the time but yeah, a lot. But of times, how much
0: like, of a headache was it when they, there's they did just, it
1: there's just a lot of risks yeah. and pitfalls in that where you really like literally you're going into business with that seller so you have to think exactly. like how ethical are you i just met you we've had maybe 30 minutes 40 minutes worth, 45 minutes worth of conversations Mm-hmm. And now we're going to go into business together. Yep. So it would have to be very certain situations and have to trust the people. I just don't see it being a good strategy across the board.
0: A friend of ours, David Overhauser, local investor, he asks, how do they account for an appraisal that might be less than the expected price? That's exactly right. Like to me, it's all of the the risks that are associated with, you know, What if the market turns? What if anything slows down? What if you don't sell for what you think you're gonna sell? Right. And Novation from again, what what we've gathered, this is a very advanced strategy. And the way these gurus are pushing it is this is something that you know every new wholesaler needs to be doing novation. I'm like, no, you know, from if you're needing power of attorneys putting liens and all these things, plus the second agreement of the purchase of the home needs to be approved by the seller as well. Yeah. So what if the seller looks at it and says, wait, 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 you're getting way too much money for this. I saw what you did. I saw the work you did. You know, no, I don't agree to this shit. I want more or I want this or the whatever, whatever. You don't know what they're going to do. And yeah, you have a power of attorney, you have a lien, but you still can't steal the property from them. Yeah. <laughs> like now oh, you're talking pro- yeah, about your legal attorney, fights. Like That's
1: the, same. Like, the thing with power of attorney. Every time we've used one, the title company, whoever's verifying it, calls that person that day to make sure, hey, is this power of attorney still in effect? Right. That's what I said. If that person dies, you can't call them to verify that power of attorney has gone. And that that person could be pissed and be like no or they could call title company they could file a document that says this is null and void that the title company can find there's a lot of things about that i mean so, uh, wh- where i hear this uh, the the i don't know if you have this in there about like why wholesalers are saying it's the best thing of trying to basically
0: wholesale on the mls oh yeah well i was going to touch on that but go ahead
1: okay well i mean this is where i've heard this where people say oh novation it's, it's so cool you can wholesale on the mls Because you have the power of attorney. Because you have a power of attorney. So the way they're they're looking at it is like, hey, I've got a contract and I have a power of attorney to exercise on the seller's behalf. Yeah. So you have a sales contract and now you're saying, hey, I'm going to buy this for $100,000. And since you have a power of attorney, you can now sign, they say legally sign, a listing agreement beyond that. And say, okay, I can see that you have power of turn, you have right to execute on that. And now they're putting on the MLS, and as the property sells, you can execute that difference in the novation portion of it, swap the contracts, and you can make a spread in between. You're saying, hey, I'm selling this thing for 200, but then I have a purchase sale agreement for 250, and I'm gonna swap those two, and I'm gonna make 50 in the center. Right. But a lot of it where I've heard people like, even like real estate is like, People that have their license in wholesaling are trying to do this. Like, well, I'm a real estate agent, so I can list it myself and I can, myself, and I can buffer my commission. Like, no. Like where's your fiduciary thing, responsibility? There's a fiduciary responsibility <laughs> to your client. Like you can't have a power of attorney. Well, yes, it looks like, but I have the power of attorney. I have this, that, and the other. Like, yeah. But you sit in front of somebody, like, how do you how are you putting yourself first or your client first? When you have the power of attorney, you're controlling you're getting compensated via the commission yep. and you're executing the sales price negotiation, you're supposed to be on behalf of your client, oh, it gets, not on yourself. It's dirty in all so, kinds like, of ways You there. can't yeah. do that. but I could see to where somebody could have the the co- sales contract, have the power of attorney agreement and use a separate agent to um yeah, let the the, the listing yeah. agreement to where like, you can't be the listing agent too and try to get a commission off of your client when you are your own client, kind of thing. And you just have this third party over here. Yeah. That's where it's like, no, you're not going to be able to do that. So I have well, seen that and heard about it.
0: So, what you know, our recommendation is you, you can check out this guy, Pace Morby. There's also another guy, Flip with Rick. He has also a YouTube channel and he's very vocal against Novation Agreement. He's like, first thing, there's no such a thing as a novation agreement. He's like that doesn't exist. Novations are essentially the replacement of one contract with another. There isn't an agreement, there isn't nothing there. He's like all you're doing is paying a guru that's going to essentially give you these contracts drafted by their attorneys, you know, that is in agreement. And I've seen some of these contracts um and one of them is 132 pages. For executing one of these, I was like, if you need that many pages to execute on a contract, oh boy. Like, I mean, again, going back to why this isn't good for newbies, new people have trouble with a standard contract. They have trouble they negotiating. Don't to do a, they don't want to
1: do a ten-page contract. and They come out with these one-page contracts. Yeah, just they, to make make their life easier. They
0: struggle with even understanding that concept. And this is not knocking on newbies. It's just what it is, right? It's 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 a difficult process. They struggle with the negotiating, with rapport building, with everything. Now you got to walk this seller through all of these contracts and pretty much telling them how like you know yes it's still your house but i control everything about it but you still got to make your mortgage payment and hopefully you keep making your mortgage payment moving forward because you know if not we're gonna have a difference of uh what you're gonna get what the mortgage is gonna be i mean there's so many things involved so flip rick is another guy i r- recommend just go check them both out listen to their points of views and make a decision for yourself but what i strongly recommend is if you decide to pursue this, go find a real estate attorney, not just a, you know a family attorney, a real estate attorney, and talk to them about this. How yeah. does innovation work? Try to find a title company that will close on one. Try to find a, a real estate brokerage that will uh, list an innovation agreement with you know with those terms in place. Yeah,
1: I mean Dave puts out here too. It's like a much better strategy that accomplishes the exact same thing as like an equity partnering. So where you so the agreement still roughly the same. Like, hey, they get this greed upon amount, out, and then you get X number of dollars first kind of ordeal, and then you split stuff with that. But you still take title to the property, like it's still right. yours. If things go astray and things get, get dicey, at least you know you own the property. You're like, well, I'm gonna sell this thing, and then this is the money you're gonna get. And if you're pissed about it, then you can you can sue and try to do everything that you want to do to try to get more out of the ordeal. Yeah, but, but
0: but at least you you hold the title. You hold something that's giving you you know the the comfort saying that like. Hey, the seller can't do like, you, you know, you're always hoping that doesn't go into I'm going to sue. You're going to sue yeah. all this. This is why we'd say like when it comes down to stuff like this, you got to understand you're taking on the seller. And sometimes it could be a, a distressed seller as a partner. Yep. Do you really want to take that risk of taking a distressed seller as a partner? Yep. You know, because that could be literally the partner from hell that you're going to have to be dealing with. I mean, so, it's, it's
1: similar to like an owner finance ordeal when you take something that way. It's like, yeah. they're not a partner. You control the pro- property. It's all yours. But the under- you owe them the underlying financing. Yeah. So, or if you have somebody, we've had a, a friend, a good friend of ours, he owner financed something for a short period of time. And then the guy was like, just showing up to the house and putting like, I'm foreclosing this letter on the front door. And just like, he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and like, he didn't have any like real recourse because the terms were being met. The guy just didn't understand what he was doing. Right. And so he just, and he just caused a ruckus, and, and you still have to deal with that person. Because like, at the end of the day, they still got to give you a payoff. Like, and if they're not giving you a payoff, the title company's not going to close on it, then you got to get attorneys involved to try to get the right. payoff amount, and it could cause problems.
0: So, so, so Pace Morby, uh, he says that within his course, he teaches three ways of doing novation agreements. Mm, the first way always good. is a net listing. Okay. I was I like, of those. So you're calling a net listing an innovation agreement? Okay. So we talked about net listings. Break that down real quick. A net, list, a net listing. What's the premise of a net listing?
1: A net listing is basically. Uh, it was kind of funny the little backstory. it. like when I went through my real estate courses and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. I, I, when it comes to getting your license, I've always said like just get through the courses because you don't start learning how to do real estate until you're actually out doing real estate. And uh, so I just got through the courses because that's what somebody told me. And the one thing I got from it was this net listing thing. It was like, "Wait, so the seller can say they want 100 and I can list it for more, and I, my commission essentially floats, and you can get whatever above a certain amount. So it's essentially what it is. And then um, Stepstone, she's like, "Huh, I've never had anybody really ask that in all the years I've been doing this." So they talked to some attorneys, and it comes back down to the fiduciary responsibility piece of if you're saying oh the seller only wants 100 and i'm going to list it for 150 and now you you get out the seller agrees i'm going to get the first hundred i'm going to get the first hundred thousand dollars right and then, then essentially the agent can say i'm going to get whatever they want above that but where now, isn't there a cap though well no that that's where said like, when that was the issue it's like well how okay. do you prove your fiduciary responsibility that was uh our, her our bro angie's Point. So she talked to attorneys like, "How do we mitigate this things? Because they always have to look at this. Like, if we get called in front of a judge, how are we going to explain this and how do we prove that we maintained our fiduciary responsibility?" Right. So the agreement they came up with a separate agreement, and uh, 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 basically how they said the seller is going to get the first X number of dollars, and then the agent needs to designate how much of a cap they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So it puts in there because it's one of the things like you are essentially negotiating the contract on behalf of the seller. Knowing that your commission's floating in between. So it kind of could be proved by a lawyer. It's like, well, you're negotiating for a higher price and you cause detriment to your client because you wanted a bigger commission. Right. So when you put into those net listing agreements, it's essentially that. I'm listing your house for you and you get the first $100,000. Yeah. And I'm going to list it for one one twenty. And because then the seller you put in that agreement, you have the right to negotiate into there because it's your commission that's floating, but it comes to a certain cap. You have to say, "But I'm not going to make more than ten thousand dollars on this ordeal." And,
0: and really, the 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 reason why we even entertain net listings when when I mean that was pretty much the only thing you took out of the whole real estate course, uh, the whole real estate training of getting your license. But the biggest thing that we took from that was when you were coming across these lower end homes, right? These lower not yeah lower price homes. Most agents don't want to list a sixty, seventy thousand dollar home, right? Because the commission is well, yeah. Because when you look at a sixty thousand dollars,
1: and you get three percent of that's right. eighteen hundred, and your brokerage has a flat fee of X number of dollars, or takes a third of it, it's like all that work for a thousand bucks or six hundred dollars. Like yeah. it's not worth it. I mean, now you're just basically representing tenants.
0: So, it, so it, it kind of gives you a, a way of being able to also list it and still make a little bit more than the traditional listing fee. So at least it makes it more worth your time, even though there are people out there that they, they have systems in place and everything. But that was the whole premise well, of and that's why we said, even considered it, it.
1: And people even say too, like, well, in your listing agreement, you say, I'm going to list this for you, but I it's not 3%. I'm going to list it for $5,000 minimum. So you can put that in there, so that kind of like I'd much rather somebody try to do that to say I'm going to list it for five grand than a net listing agreement, because it just opens the door for an attorney to go in there and just be like, no, you negotiated on your behalf, not on your client's to buffer your piece. And we've actually used a net listing before too. I've used it one time, and the scenario was because of the person was in foreclosure, and the spread of what we thought we could get to. Uh, what they owe and what they were trying to get out of the deal. There just wasn't enough there. So basically, and it wasn't 3%, it was less. So instead of designating like, hey, I'm not going to do this less than 3%, I cut my commission to be that floating piece to make sure this thing closes. So the seller gets their their lien paid off. They get $5,000. The buyer's agent gets their piece, and I'm the one that has the floating commission in there. And I put in there saying, I'm not going to make more than the 3%. On this ordeal. So let me list this for you. And my commission is a piece that just floats in between. So you don't have to go in there and do a bunch of paperwork to try to say, like, well, there's not enough money in here to cover all the commissions that are contractually obligated. Yeah. Or it's like, well, contractually obligated, my commission just. So, so you did it even the wrong.
0: opposite. You didn't do it to get more money. You did it to help them out. So it didn't matter how much money you got.
1: Yeah. And that's what I said. I capped it. And it's like, I'm not going to make more than $10,000. And I knew there wasn't that kind of equity even right. in the property. It would happen if there was. Again, sitting in front of a judge, it seemed like, hey, he was in foreclosure. Uh, this was the amount because that amount changes constantly every single day. Yeah. So we're like, I needed to make sure I covered the agent's fee and I needed to make sure the lien was paid off. So I knew what would that numbers were going to kind of come in at and I cut my commission to be whatever was left. Mm-hmm. Which was going to be on um, my intentions when I ran this, it was going to be less than 3%. And then I even capped myself at 3% or whatever, Which a certain standard. dollar value. Yeah. So it's like that's another piece that can be, it's like kind of the low end or certain scenarios where there's a f- financial piece that, because even in that scenario, it's like I can't put, I'm going to make $2,000 on this because it could float and it's, I'm cutting myself potentially short. If there's a little extra left right. in there. So it might be like 3.1% or 3.2%. It's not going to be these huge windfalls because I've had agents call me, uh, or not agents, investors call me and say, hey, I want to do this net listing thing to where you can list a property for me and I try to get like $50,000 out of that. Like, <laughs> no, like, that's not how, that's <laughs> Wait, not how this they works. They want you to list it. They want they... me to list it. <laughs> and like, can you net list this thing? And then we, we partner up so I can get this split. And you're like, no, like that is just asking for trouble. And, uh,
0: well, we we even have on here uh, the broker owner of uh Realty, Angie Francis. She comments, these gurus don't pay any attention to the agency rules. They don't care. They don't, they don't need care. to. How many times have we seen gurus say, you don't need to get a real estate license. You don't need that crap. You, you don't need to be a licensed agent. And technically, yes, you do not need to be a licensed agent to be in real estate. And we did a whole video on should you get your license. But- having your license opens up your door tremendously. I mean, when we, even, even now, uh, how many deals are we closing right now that are traditional listings that have just come because of our network, because of situations, and, and they don't require that much work, but we're able to do it simply because we got the license.
1: I mean, that's exactly what I was just trying to think through It's like just this last month alone, February, is that we closed three retail transactions uh as as a licensed agent I helped, mm-hmm. helped list three properties or actually four. Um got commissions off those. And then you look at all of the properties, like we have four I just did this morning, I switched one of our properties to pending. And I was like, I got four listings on there and like they're all pending. It's like that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then but like I look at the cumulative amount saved by having a license, especially like ones listed for 300 another listing for like 190 another like you start adding that up across all those commissions and you just look at it's like well so i represented three listings this month that made x number of dollars i saved this amount by listing my own properties because right now like it doesn't take much to list a house yeah everyone says like oh you don't need to be doing that stuff like yeah it's like the dollar per hour saved by like on a three hundred thousand dollar house that's nine grand Yep. And, uh, you, yes, broker commissions, whatever it may be. But when you're listing a house, like, yeah, I might have two, three hours invested into that thing. I don't know about you, but $3,000 an hour, it's like, oh, I'll go ahead and save myself $3,000 an hour by listing my own properties. When you add that, like, it adds up to a very sizable chunk of money that you, we save just for this month alone.
0: I, that I don't agree with because I don't get out of bed if I'm not making at least ten grand an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guru. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, so, so that's the first uh, way of doing a novation, according to him, is a net listing, which, you know, to me, that's not a novation, that's a net listing. The second way is an actual novation, where you're replacing one contract with another, and the third way is doing a partnership at JB. So, where am I going with this? Is we hear so many times of somebody coming out with this new way that you're going to be able to invest in real estate with no money with this, with this. And it's new. There's nothing new, (laughs) nothing. None of the things that they talk about is new whatsoever. Everything that they're talking about has been done time and time again. It's been done since the beginning of time. Like nothing, none of it is. That's just like to your point, like my
1: argument to that is like, well, then how did the laws get written the way the laws are written? To exactly. be able to do these things, pull off like, well, yes, there are gray areas that you can work with in, And if you do them on a large enough scale, then some politician or some lawmaker gets involved and sees it and laws can change and new strategies can quote unquote come up or new ones can disappear. George, like the um, what's the one that you liked in New York that you can't do here? Lease options. Lease options. Can't do them here in Texas anymore, even though they say some guru attorney says, like, oh, yes, you can. You do all these special contracts, and we've sent them to other attorneys. And he's like, well, yeah, they kind of cover you over. There's this one area that's like, "Eh, I don't know about that. Good luck with that. It's sitting in front of a judge or getting sued for it. So,
0: So, all that being said, you know, we had a discussion yesterday where because of things like this, is why wholesalers come under fire. that's
1: Dave Oberhauser puts, perhaps the only new is the term novation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, But it's wholesalers are coming on the fire more and more. And it's usually because of things like this. We start seeing things like this, you know, these potentially new strategies. I I remember even a guru one time saying, you know, I'm going to teach you how to flip a house without ever putting a dime into the house you're gonna be flipping houses making a bunch of money and you don't even have to lift a hammer or was that, hire a was contractor that, was that the
1: astro flipping i don't guy. know i don't know that was that but was one that got me that made me laugh you,
0: and then when i and i was curious i was like what what's what's he talking about is this something new and when you looked at it he was just talking about wholesaling yeah but absolutely. he just called it you know flipping uh, anyway it's
1: just guru
0: things are that was that was very that was, funny
1: that was the astro flipping guy I was like oh there's the same speech like that i'm like i'm gonna do astro flipping it's like what is that <laughs> astro flipping and he started looking at it like bro you're just teaching wholesaling but you just some fancy term astro flipping to make people watch it. he got me i was like astro flipping like what are you doing yeah now? and but that's exactly what it was it's like it's just a different term for something just putting a new spin on something old
0: and so like, is, so going back to you we're looking at this and all these new terms and everything like this is incentivizing new people to get into real estate and do things they don't completely understand they don't understand the contracts they don't understand the process the legalities and it's making regulation and everything come down hard on wholesalers now right so your point you know that you were making yesterday was pretty much like it's because of these things that at some point wholesaling is probably gonna get banned so do you want to Touch on that. What you were pretty much arguing yesterday?
1: Uh, I wasn't arguing. I <laughs> was educating you on what the facts were. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just one thing because you see, like they put out a big survey, Trek did not too long ago, that uh, it was a survey to all their licensed agents and different people, their database, mm-hmm. and is asking several questions on their interactions with wholesaling. Because where I why I think this is happening is because it enough. In consumers have been hurt by quote unquote wholesalers that enough complaints have been filed from agents, enough from consumers that regulators are now putting an eye on this. And it's because enough consumers are getting hurt and enough money is being transacted that they're like, okay, we kind of have this wild west thing going on where you have these unlicensed people, unregulated skirting around the laws that are there for a certain reason and the end consumer is getting either financially hurt or, well I mean really it comes down to financially hurt or detriment at some point. Um, and that's why regulators step in and say like, what is going on? That's why they, we almost lost sub twos a few years ago is because some bad actor financially devastated a lot of people out in, I think it was West Texas. And that's when they came in and said, okay, well, what's going on? Because we can't have this happen anymore.
0: So here, here is you know, my thing again. They're, the homeowners are getting financially hurt. How are they getting financially hurt? Uh, if you're wholesaling a property you're negotiating with the seller, right? A price that they are okay with receiving. And then you're wholesaling it obviously for a higher price. How are they financially hurt if they agreed to the price? If they were okay with the price, how are they financially hurt?
1: Well, the, the other side of that, well, I mean, to look at it when it comes to a judge, like mm-hmm. I always said, like, mm-hmm. and I, I can't think it was Angie or Dan or somebody, or just like, I always look, do things, As when it comes to real estate, if it's like kind of a gray area or it's like, if I'm explaining this to a judge and a jury, can I explain why I did what I did and how I made the things that I made? So say you got, you contract a, a steal of a property, you get it for 60 grand. And I've heard of these like six figure wholesale agreements and stuff like that, where somebody don't, not necessarily, they don't double close because they never executed on the contract. They just basically sold the rights to the property, which is legal to do. Right. So they got a contractor for sixty, and then they sold the rights to that contract for say a seventy-eight, another eighty grand for a total sales price of one forty. So now that that in consumer just comes and says, yes, they agreed to that contract to sell it to you for sixty thousand dollars. Well, it turns out you didn't sell it. I didn't sell it to you. You misrepresented yourself in the transaction you were going to do, and you sold to Joe Schmoe over there for one hundred fifty thousand dollars and made a huge windfall in the center. So now when you explain it to a judge, the judge can be like, but you never told them you you weren't going to buy her. You represented yourself as I'm going to buy this property. And then you went and made a ton of money on the other side and sold it to somebody else. And you did not – you disclosed. You deceited the person. You were hiding the fact that you were making this huge amount of money. And now you look at it like – but your tri- trip trip, that way they would say, it. like your typical real estate commission is anywhere at three, maybe 5% of whatever the sales price is in that transaction to where you never took title of the property. You just sold to somebody else. You acted like a, a real estate agent, but you weren't licensed. You were looking out for yourself and made a huge windfall in the center.
0: Now, here, here just to unpack that a little bit, um, you misrepresented yourself. There's nothing in the contract that says that you cannot sell your rights to that Correct. contract. So, you didn't misrepresent yourself. You, you potentially had an interest of buying the property and then whatever happened, you changed your mind and you sold your interest to buy that property. Correct. You, you didn't deceive the homeowner because the homeowner was told that they were, you were going to close on this day and you were going to get paid this much money. That still happens. So how is the homeowner deceived if you're not doing any other things that are deceitful? Because I mean, Are you not telling them that you're wholesaling it? You don't have to. Why would, why do you need to? Like, what does it matter if you're you're abiding by what you said you were going to do? And, th- and, that, and there's you are
1: doing exactly that. But you look at the law and you look at how things have happened over time You to where people get in trouble where you can say like, yeah, but they signed this agreement. And it's like, I get they signed that agreement and that is legal. But you took advantage of that person in that search, certain situation. You see that all the time. Like banks get into that all the time, pushing predatory loans, getting people just to sign something, this huge document to sign it. But then they come out with some class action lawsuit saying – yeah, but you pushed these products in a way that was deceitful of what they were actually getting.
0: But how do you prove that it was deceitful? Because you say, you know, you got it it's for like that's... A, a, a lot lower, right, than you should have. How do you know I got it for a lot lower than I should have? I those are the numbers that I ran that it would have worked for me. I don't it, know if it would have worked but the But
1: it's the fact that you didn't go through with what you're saying. It would have worked for you. Then why didn't you close on it if it didn't work for you?
0: What does it matter? It, the seller still got what they, what I told them they were going to get. It's still closed when I told them it was going to close. What is the difference? Why does that matter? Because
1: you didn't – you deceived that person. You told them it's like, hey, I'm going to use negotiations, high-pressure sales tax to beat your price down, knowing on the back end I can sell this thing for a huge windfall. I'm not telling you I'm going to do that. I'm just going to get you under this contract and now push this thing. And that's why people are starting – because you're hearing about these yeah, things but, more and so more So let's more. say
0: you're, you're anticipating, right, selling it for a huge windfall – and then you realize that you can't sell it for that huge windfall because th- no, there aren't any you know stupid investors in your market, so they're not going to overpay that much. So now you do have to close on it. So you still didn't deceive, deceive them. because and that's that scenario,
1: yeah, you now you actually fulfilled your obligation of the contract. But you how weren't you being presented.
0: deceitful. You were just seeing if there was somebody else that could probably make it work with better than than you can. So you're saying that. In, uh, in front of a judge because this is what we're arguing we're arguing if you're sitting in front of a judge yeah how do you defend this yeah right so you're saying in front of a judge the judge is going to say that you were being intentionally deceitful you knew your intentions were to wholesale it because you were you didn't and, have the and capital then, and or whatever then, it is. and then
1: it comes down to the piece of a fee we're like if it's only like 10 grand it's mm-hmm. like that's not that okay 10 grand over sixty thousand. yes you do, you were deceitful or whatever it might be, but you're only talking like a 10% fee. It's, it's the huge ones. And we hear about them of somebody making a shitload of money. And then that person that you across from, it's like, this isn't a business. This is just an an individual. That's why laws a lot of times get written is to help protect the end consumer from people that have superior level of knowledge. You're an expert in real estate. They're not, they have no idea. And they contacted you, and you got them to sign some contract, and then they, you made a huge windfall at their expense, their financial expense. Now, flip it to the other way. We run into these people where we say, I'm going to buy it for 100 because you know what, it makes sense for 100 Some wholesaler comes in there, say they're in foreclosure, and says, oh, I'll give you 120 for the house. Who's that person going to sign with? They're going to sign with that investor that can do it for 120 and they're going to lock them in a contract, then seller or sneak, and they're going to be able to sell the property. And then come day of closing... They couldn't sell it to anybody. They had no intention of ever buying the thing. Right. And then that drove them into foreclosure. There's another scenario on the other side. It's not making too much money. It's you were promised too much money by somebody that didn't know what they were doing. And now you were financially hurt because you got foreclosed on. You're saying, this person said they were going to buy my house and never did.
0: Well, but now we're talking about uh, slightly two separate things. I do agree. I understand. And I agree with what we, we've always condemned these uh, wholesalers that are contracting. And this is because again, these freaking gurus, right? Just get it on the contract. Just get it on the contract. You'll find somebody like, no, if you don't know that it's the right price or anything, then you shouldn't be getting it on their contract. You understand? Like one of the things that I did, I just, we just released a video this past week called on reverse wholesaling. I didn't know that was a term. Um, (laughs) that was a new phrase for me, New, new phrase, but it's what, how we started is that we found buyers first, we found our buyers, we found out what they wanted, and then we were working with them on these deals to figure out what is a good deal for you. So then that way we can lock it up and they will buy it and we will get a little fee in the middle, right? So that's how we got to understand and learn real estate, what a deal looks like, how to negotiate, how to value repairs. It's called reverse wholesaling, apparently, um, but it's it's a good strategy to for you to learn, right? But if you don't know what you're doing and you're contracting it for whatever price and you don't even know if that price is right, then I say 100%, you're being shady, you're being deceitful, and you are not looking out for that seller because that seller now is making arrangements, packing, perhaps already moving, and then when it comes time to closing, you're like, uh, I can't close. Yeah. That's fucked up, right? Yeah. So the problem with that is that, going back to the previous point, I don't find a problem with somebody wholesaling a property, personally. I don't, I don't see the issue, I understand, the argument from, you know, perhaps a, a judge or something like that, I still think that you trying to attack me because I'm making money is the most, I guess, un-American thing I've ever heard of, right? That's the whole point is we make money in this, you create and a business, and no- as long as the homeowner is getting what they agree to and they're happy with that number, it should not matter how much you make, right? That being said, this other practice is bring in bad light as well to the whole brand and they're not going to implement a law that says oh you can do wholesaling this way but not this way no what they're going to do is they're going to come in and say it's done exactly that's the problem and a
1: couple questions we have here uh so you don't know me but doesn't the contract say something like buyer joe smith and or signs very clearly no it does not the trek contract does not say that and i mean people use special contracts the one-page contracts that can say that stuff but your typical one-to-page, trek promulgated contract that comes out does not say and or assigns, but it doesn't say can't be assigned either. Right. And that's the that's how a lot of people that, and you go take those to title companies, some title companies say, no, it needs to say and or assigns because you're changing the buyer to cover themselves. There's other ones that will back that up, says it doesn't say that, but it doesn't say you
0: can't do that either. Right. And we've spoken to real estate attorneys that have told us that. They're like, hey, it doesn't state that you can or that you can't. Yep. Yeah. So because it doesn't say it, then it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, uh, it, it also doesn't mean that you can.
1: Yeah, it's just well, I mean, let's, let's use an example here, too, because uh, I can't remember what the show I saw it on Netflix. It was like Dirty Money or that series that came out like Money Heist or something like that. It was a seven, like a 10 part series that came over like how people had deceived a lot of people and stolen a lot of money from somebody. Um, oh,
0: uh, it was about the government. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, good luck with that. No, the government was was hammering I'm kidding, YouTube. And it was
1: on uh, loan sharks of people that are Mm -hmm. taking advantage of uneducated people and doing payday loans. Yeah. and we've all been in these scenarios. Like, Think of uh, like cell phone contracts back in the day when you're just getting charged all these fees. You're like, what in the hell is all these fees? Well, it was in the contract. You didn't read it. It says right here you agreed to these things, and you're pissed. You're like, no, I did not agree to that. On like, pay you- 753. Exactly, <laughs> but it was a loan sharks where a gentleman was using, putting, uh, he found loopholes and was making businesses owned by Indians on Indian reservations and was doing loan sharks to people and charging above- what was deemed egregious and predatory lending and interest rates. That's why there's a regulation when you do of the amount of interest you can get on a contract. it so said like it's 18% is the highest you can get on unpaid amounts. All the all of them say that's the highest you can get. Anything above that and you're really going into uncharted territories. Leak- legal wise. So even though you signed a legal promissory note that says you were going to pay this amount back because somebody came in and slid a contract for you saying, Hey, I have what you need. Just go ahead and sign this dotted line right here. And don't worry about all all the stuff. That's just all the stuff the attorneys say, and you sign it. And then somebody goes to collect on that. It's like, it's like, no, you, you forced them in, not forced, but you pressured this contract use high pressure sales tactic to make it really, you were selling them like a piece of gold when really it was a piece of coal. And it's like – and that's where – and when it's done on a large enough scale and enough people get hurt, that's where the government steps in and that's how these regulations get put into place. Mm -hmm. But in his scenario to where like it got heavily regulated because he was deemed to be charging way too much money onto these people on a massive scale and driving these people further into – of financial straits right. and driving them and just breaking their backs when they're saying, hey, I just needed $100 and all of a sudden I paid you back $1,000 and you were kept charging my account, charging my account, charging my account, charging late fees and all kinds of things and he wound up getting the, all of his assets seized and wound up getting a billion dollar judgment slapped against him yeah. for doing these things and it was like, yeah, well, it was all legal and the contracts were there. It was all signed. The enough people, the end consumers were detrimented by that, those those that company that the regulator stepped in and did something about it. And to where like a lot of people, it shouldn't matter how much you make money it makes, it's like, but it does. To where if you're doing that on a large enough scale, repetitively over and over and over again, when they a judge sits there, he's not a real estate expert, he's gonna look at from to experts like the Texas Real Estate Commission, real estate attorneys, like, what is a standard fee for a real estate transaction? Like, what have you seen? And they come out anywhere from three, five, maybe 10%, and all of a sudden you're making 200% over and over and over again? That's what's going to become the problem. It's, like, it's above the standard because yeah. when you look at a real estate transaction, it's transparent on both sides when it's on a licensed regulated yeah, yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Each side knows what's going on. All and right. they say, look, at like, now that side, nobody's arguing fees. They say that's your typical fee. You're, you, you're, easy, you're well aware of being able to negotiate your fees from right. a real estate agent perspective. It can be
0: typical 6%, so, so, but it can be 5 so, 4 Sell it that way. Why sell it to an investor then? You're selling it to an investor because of the benefits an investor can provide you, right? The investor can provide you maybe with a, a lease back. Maybe the investor can close quickly. Maybe the investor can close as is. It's not going to do an inspection, whatever it may be. If you want the complete transparency, list it. By all means, you will not most likely get taken advantage of because you have agents, they have fiduciary responsibilities and all that. You're choosing to go with an investor because of a convenience, because of whatever. My thing is, why do we have to get punished for how much money we make if the seller was given a fair deal, what they considered was acceptable, what they wanted That's what to I said. get? The
1: other side, like it wasn't a fair deal. That's how they look at it. But it was a fair deal
0: for them. That's what they wanted. And that's what you negotiated You're them thinking, down to. But it's your opinion whether that was fair or not. Just because it's I not, made but more that's money. that's what I
1: said. It's not your opinion anymore. Like if it gets to a large enough scale, it's the courts and the public's opinion. So the of courts who it and is. the
0: public's opinion is going to be that you should not be allowed to make too much money because that's, that's not allowed. That's
1: how it's going to end up. That's how it's going to be looked at. Because, like, just that guy, it's like, you needed $500. I gave you 500 bucks to help you out of your financial strait. And, yeah, who cares if I made $2,000 off of that $500 investment in a month off of you and I made it even worse for you. You agreed to it. I gave you, you what know, you wanted.
0: When, I was in a, when we were doing construction, I used to, we used to have this argument with sometimes uh, the clients. They would say, you know, they would at, call us to do a job. And we would give them a quote and everything and be like, wait, you can't be making, you know, $2,500 in three days. Uh, that's not right. That's a lot of money. Based on what? Well, it's three days of work. How can you make that much money? Well, you're paying for the experience that we have to get the job done right. We're providing the materials. We're making sure everything gets done correctly. You're paying for the job to be done correctly, and you're paying for our experience. There's an old saying of the, you know, the, I can't, I'm probably going to butcher, but the point of it was like the whole power system went down in a whole city yeah and they yeah. called this guy to fix it Swung a and he goes over turns on a switch and charges 10 grand he's like how are you gonna charge me 10 grand for flipping the switch he's like because i knew what switch to, needed to be flipped he said like he had an invoice it's like thousand dollars
1: for flipping the switch nine thousand dollars knowing which flip a switch to flip exactly so
0: that's my thing is that as investors right especially people in the wholesale space and everything you do a lot of marketing you're putting in a lot of hours you're doing a lot of negotiation you're doing a lot of work not every deal pans out not every deal makes a lot of money you know so then for the few that do make good money you're not allowed to capture those either nope. like you don't they don't care about that yeah that's just, now, they're not going to care it's like and it's
1: it's the fact that you didn't disclose it. You, it's like, if your intention was to buy it, why didn't you just buy it and then resell it then? Because that's why you got the big, the big boys, the New Westerners, the Networst, all these other ones, they double close. Right. Because you can never say that, and I, I'm sure that's why they do it, because they're doing it on a mass scale, to say like, well, you deceived this person and you resold. It's like, no, I didn't. I bought that property. The fact that I resold it the next day is the legal piece. But when you still see those huge fees across large scales and enough people start complaining about it, that's where the government's going to step in. That's where regulators are going to step in. It's not the fact that you, yeah. I, I, I am all for capitalism, make as much money as you want. But when you start doing it on the like enough people on a large enough scale, enough people complain, it doesn't matter what's right or wrong at that point. That's sad. It's going to come down to like, hey, you. It is agreed upon that in a transparent transaction, and that enough people are pissed off about this, that the public's going to step in. The government's gonna step in and say like no you can't do that. that's how laws are written yeah. is when enough things go the wrong way enough people get pissed off and gang up against you you're even though you may be right under the current circumstances law that's how laws change so is because enough people got pissed off about what
0: you were doing and now they come after you and change so to, laws to kind of wrap up this this conversation the biggest takeaway i i hope you guys are getting from this it's not don't do wholesaling. It's not, don't do novation or, or don't do, you know, uh, net listings or partnerships. It's that focus on being a real investor on getting educated on understanding what are the right things? What are the wrong things on understanding what it really takes to be a real estate investor? Because guess what? Like John says, laws will change. They always have, they always will. They're always going to come down on stuff. And the only people that are going to survive are the people that truly understand the business where they can adapt. Like if they got rid of wholesaling, we're still fine. It doesn't affect us. If they change something in flipping, we'll still be fine. It won't affect us. We yeah. can adapt because we understand every aspect of every piece of investing, right? And we we our whole point was when our first couple of years was just learning and learning and overly like asking questions how do you do that how do you do that and what i'm seeing with a lot of new wholesalers is that just quick flips quick flip you know quick wholesales quick wholesale i just want to make that money make the money make the money and i'm like but you don't understand what a deal even looks like you and don't it's even know like, un- those
1: those are the ones that are going to cause regulation it's, yeah. it's the bad actors the uneducated the people that are just in it for the money and not for the love of the <clears throat> the love of the game right. and it's like and that's what's gonna and that's all it always happens you got one person or a few people or one group that come in and just do, do something like a egregious hurt a lot of people and that's where it comes in and people start getting hurt and that's where like I, that's why wholesaling is being cracked down on is you have so many bad actors in there and these stories are becoming more and more and more. and it's not just the making more money that's probably bringing more attention it's the fact that people are driving them into foreclosures they are saying i'm gonna buy this house and they don't buy this well, house let's also and, say
0: that the real reason is because the board of realtors is pissed and they they're big board. They carry a yeah. lot of weight, and they're making a lot of noise on this. They're getting—they're pissed at wholesalers because to them, wh- wholesalers are taking from their agent fees. They're taking from their board dues, right? So the board of realtors—they're pissed. Well, that they, plays into it as yeah. well because
1: it becomes more and more people doing it, and you hear so more and more stories. So their greed.
0: That's also influencing this because they have more money and more reach and they, they're they like, oh, we're missing out our nut on on these properties because you you're could, you look it.
1: You can look at it that way too, but I don't think that's all, all of it
0: either. That's 100%. No, because they're, they, they,
1: they're motivated by money. Uh, yes, but there are people that like, do do it for a good reason. Why it's motivated by money, they say like, yeah, we're missing out on our fees, but people are getting hurt because you couldn't just go to and say, oh, we're missing out on our money. I don't think the law is going to side on you with that. But when they can put a case together and say you've driven enough people into financial straits because of the deals you put them in, you you did an owner finance and didn't give that person the right to foreclose, and now you've let them foreclose and you made all the money in between. Stop stopped paying the mortgage. They couldn't foreclose to get the property back to sell it. And you just kept all the money in between. That's what happened with the owner finance piece. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Anger. that's how it gets brought attention. And that's how people really start looking at it and start digging into it. And then it becomes into agreed, uh, I think for a uh, second yeah. it's like, Hey, you realize there's a problem here. Like people are getting hurt. We're this is a board. This is a regulation to oversee transactions like this to help rein everything in to make it fair and even playing field to where capitalism can flourish. And then now people are getting hurt. They look into it and then they say, okay,
0: well now we're missing out on our fees as well. And that's why I mean, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but it's why you got to be subscribed to an investor's journey. I mean. All the content we put out is exactly of what's happening right now in the market, strategies you can do right now. And everything is always legal. We care tremendously about our name. That's all we have. You know, I, I told you guys before, I, I was an immigrant in this country. And one thing my dad always taught me, he's like, nothing can, is ever given to us. We earn everything. And the way we do it is through our name. So if you don't have a good name, people are not going to want to work with you. And that's all we preach and all we teach people is disclose over, disclose, be transparent. Don't screw anybody over, you know, go with good intentions that you may make a mistake. Okay. That's fine. You can make a mistake. You make it once don't do it again, but learn from it. Right. It's a mistake. Don't do it intentional because that's how you end up screwing up for yourself and for everybody in the business. And it's just, you know, it's just the wrong thing to do. So, before we move, uh, I wanted to, we were going to cover how to do marketing for deals in uh, today's economy in 2022. But I wanted to cover a little bit more of uh, the current economy. I mean, we have so many things going on right now. I had a property tour that I did this week and a gentleman that we know that he's a local investor and lender. He, he was say he feels that the rise of interest rates and all that is going to affect real estate. He's like, you know, I have no doubt about it. It will affect real estate and it's not going to be good. So th- there's a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of people on YouTube, everything. They're saying a market crash is coming. The real estate is in a bubble. So I know you have a few articles that are going to touch on a lot of things of the economy that is going to drive this factor. So,
1: well, and then the article we had last time in the with the John's, we talked about it. It's like people don't care about the price they pay for something. They care about the payment that they're going to have on that property. It's like I represented somebody this last weekend and he didn't care about the price. All he cared about is like, yeah, but when I rent this thing out in a year am I going to break even? Is the payment he cared about and what that is. Like, well, what's the payment going to be on that? What's the payment going to be on that? What's the payment going to be? 300,000, 400,000, 500,000. What can I rent it for? What's the payment going to be? Can I can I get that? Right. And it's like he didn't care about the price. And people don't care about the price. They care about the payment associated with it. They look at it and they get kind of sticker shock, but when they break down the financing, they look at the, everything like, well, I can still afford that. Most people aren't financially savvy enough to really realize, like, what is driving that price? Mm-hmm. What is the, uh, like, or my payment and stuff like that. So, will it affect it? For sure. It's slowly applying the brake to slow the thing down by rising interest rates. The problem is that it's not going to do too much to it. It's like we still have no inventory. So, we're like, it's going gonna, gonna to start pricing people out and it's going to slowly start as interest rates continue to rise. But you look right now, interest rates are a percent higher than what they were three months ago. I mean, or even a year ago, I think I have an article in here like what they were a year ago to what they are now. And we're mortgage, still having dropping mortgage rates, mortgage
0: rates, they're a percent higher than they're, they're, 1%, were.
1: they're Yeah. They're over a percent higher than what they were already, even though they haven't even started interest rates. It's the talk of rising interest rates that have driven interest rates up, mm-hmm. but we still have declining inventory. So right there, how is the market going to crash when we've had a rise in interest rates and we've had a drop of inventory and prices are still increasing at 10, 12%, 19% year over year.
0: So now let me ask you this with rising interest rates, right? We're saying interest rates are going to rise. So it's going to make it less affordable for people to buy houses. So that's going to put a pressure on the housing market, but we already have low inventory. And I, do you think that because of that unaffordability, we're going to have even lower inventory because even less people are going to want to sell at that point, because they're going to look at it and say, well, Shoot, you know, especially when the properties we pick up, we pick up properties from distressed, that are distressed homes or distressed homeowners, right? So the chances of them being able to sell that home and qualify at these new higher interest rates, they're probably going to think twice before they sell now. So do you think well, that's that, 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 that it would, would cause forgetting. an even bigger shortage of inventory? I mean, it's... Affordability is an issue there. Yeah, well, affordability is an issue, but then
1: also look at a lot of people have been able to do, all right, I can sell my house for X, I can keep all this money, put little down on the next one. Mm -hmm. What's going to cause them to do when they sell their house, they got to put more money down to bring that payment down. So more money is going to get locked up in real estate. Mm -hmm. Or like, I know a lot of people like, hey, I sold my house and I made 200 grand, I'm going to only buy this house, only put 50,000 down, and I get to make 150 grand because they can afford that payment. But as that payment drops... starts getting more and more expensive it's like ooh to be able to afford that payment i need to put a hundred thousand down i need to roll the entire equity from this purchase into my next purchase to keep my mortgage rate down so you are going to see that aspect
0: so so you're saying that the ones that are going to be selling are pretty much people that have a substantial amount of equity in their home because the ones that don't have that level of equity and they're selling their homes and they're maybe walking away with five ten grand they're probably going to think twice they're probably, Yeah, they're
1: going to think twice. They're just like – and then it's not going to be uh, I just want a bigger house kind of ordeal. It's not going to be an emotional thing. It's like, no, I'm moving. I right. have to sell this house. I have to leave the place. So it's not – I don't think it's going to be so much like inner city kind of moving from one area to another or it's going to be some – it's an emotional thing that people buy houses. It's not logical. Right. Like They just look at like, what's the payment on that house. That's why we've had such a massive boom because everybody wanted to move out and it caused this massive frenzy, sh- dropping of rates to see prices raising increase. I mean that does the – not even logical piece. It's still emotional. People see all the money being made in real estate. Prices going up so fast. They just go, oh, I'm missing out on all this money that's being made or all this equity gain and stuff like that. I need to go hurry up and go buy a house. So yeah. that has caused a massive shock to an already depleted inventory that's driven it down even further. So I don't think it's going to create a massive problem like it's going to slowly apply the brakes, but it's not going to pull the emergency brake and come, just everything come to a screeching halt not rising interest rates by itself right uh, unless they went from zero to four percent and they went and they and they don't do that unless well, there's like a huge problem like there was in like the 70s age with hyperinflation. I
0: was looking at you know doing the math of today's interest rates before like on a two hundred thousand dollar home even if the interest rates went up. 300, uh, uh, three quarters of a percent, uh, mortgage interest rates went up three quarters of a percent, your mortgage payment goes up like 80 bucks. You know what I mean? So it's like, and when the feds raise interest rates, they're not going to be raising a percentage. They're going to be raising a quarter basis point, right? They're, they're going to be doing you know a very small increments because they're going to want to test the market. It's
1: such a small amount of what I was going to so say. Here's where I found that spot I was talking about where... As of Thursday, the mortgage, the average 30 year fixed mortgage rate hit 3.45. That's up from 3.1% last month and a hefty bounce from 2.65% in January of 2021. So we're almost a percent higher, but our inventories are even lower than what they were December of 2020, yeah. or 20, January 2021, where I think it was um, like 40% lower or something like that. So yeah, we're even lower inventory. So it's just like that whole aspect, oh, when they rise interest rates, the real estate market's going to crash. To your point, it's like it's such a small amount. It's going to start slowing it down. That's the point of rising interest rates is to slow things down without crashing the economy. They don't want to crash the economy, but they do need to control inflation because if it gets too out of hand, then they have to do things like drastic. We need to raise 1%, 2% at a shot, and that starts crazy massive disruptions in the market.
0: So here's another question that I've seen a lot in, uh, from – David, he says, how would you say the current real estate bubble, quote unquote, is different from the 2008 era real estate bubble? It's,
1: well, the one back in 2000, it's not 2008 bubble. It's the Years before that, so the Bush administration put out that said the home ownership was at an all-time low. Let's um, say like it's it was like sixty percent or something like that. It's like no, the American dream is to own a house. They put out bad policies. They put out regulations that said you need we want home ownership to go up. So they put out some regulations that opened the door for some very predatory things. These interest rates, that the our point on the wholesaling thing, they yeah. were pushing, oh, 2% rate, 2% rate, 1% rate, for, and then th- there were adjustable rate mortgages. And then they didn't explain the fine print of, hey, in three years, five years, this 2% is going to adjust to whatever the prime mortgage rate is plus 3%. They didn't expect interest rates to go from 2% to 5%, and then all of a sudden, their mortgage payment went from uh, 1200 to where your point where three-quarters of a percent is only $80. Well, what's 1% to 9%? You're talking hundreds of dollars. Oh, yeah. For and sure. so when the prices went flying through the roof and the mortgage rates, that were their teaser rates they were calling were lower and they weren't selling what was going to happen when those things adjusted, prices kept rising and rising and rising and rising and rising. And then all of a sudden, once those teaser rates came about and came due, you started having a lot of money. Or a lot of payments that couldn't be made. And that started locking up the financial system. That started locking up the lending system when money wasn't coming back. And that started causing prices to fall and started a lot of bad loans. And you also had the ninja loans, the no job, no income, no assets, and you could qualify. So it was bad policy done in the 2000s era by, I think, the Bush administration that led to the 2008. I think it was one of the economists we talk about, like, what causes big crashes is when bad policy was done and – the free market was able to capitalism was able to come in with bad policy and bad guidance and create these massive bubbles. But so this th- isn't a bubble. Th- and that's what I said. What's the difference is like now it's like you can't, if you don't have a job, they come out that Dodd Frank and then that's your point. Like they overstepped, they did way too much, but that regulated the lending market mm. that regulated how things were built that regulated the financial industry when it comes to what's pushing these things. So a lot of people to where, um, they, if they didn't have a job, they didn't have assets, they didn't have income, they couldn't qualify for a mortgage. You have those debt-to-income ratios that says if you can't like 45%, which to me is still way too high, but if 45% of your income, debt-to-income, goes towards, uh, with this mortgage on top of it, is over 45%, you can't qualify. Yeah. So where it could cause a bubble is if uh, right, rates go way too high and a lot of people start losing their jobs. Way too quickly. That's why what scared them so much with the uh, the pandemic is yeah. all of a sudden, unemployment went from 4% to 15%. A lot of jobs were being lost. And that's, oh, well, how are people going to pay for these mortgages? Fortunately, it was a lot of people on the lower end that were losing their jobs. And you still had a lot of financial backing that were done for uh, mortgages and everything that postponed also, those things to keep it from falling apart.
0: Also, during the 2008 crash and everything, like they hesitated a lot. Before doing stimulus packages and everything like that, yeah, they waited that, a long time. That has been, you know, long, long gone by now. They don't hesitate worth a damn at this point. They understand that it's like if this starts turning, we are gonna throw everything at it. You know, we'll print trillions of dollars. We'll give people money. We'll do whatever needs to get done. We'll we'll back up the banks. Do as risky loans as you want to make. You know, we'll back you up. We'll back everything up. We cannot let the housing market. And they have pretty much come out and said that specifically, like, it's not going to crash. They won't. They can't allow it to crash because it will bring down the economy. And they can't allow that.
1: Well, it's not just, just real estate falling. It's like, yeah. no, it's it's asset prices falling oh, yeah. because what's attached to asset debt. And then when that debt starts becoming due and you can't pay and you have no more assets to sell, it can spiral out of control very quickly into a death spiral of like, what do we need to do? Like Everyone's so fearful. They learned that lesson in 2008 that they waited so long to do so much or to do enough to stimulate to get things back and going. I mean, and the same thing they talk about when you research like the Great Depression. The reason it lasted 10 years is because they didn't do enough to bring the economy back. Right. And now there's a debate of whether it's right or wrong, it proves people to be more risky or not. It's like, that's all, that's how the system works. It's evolved over yeah. time because their job is to keep the economy moving and growing.
0: And that's kind of what you and I talk about a lot is it whether we think it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. What matters is that it's the way it is. And you as an investor need to be smart enough to look at it for what it is and Play the market. Yeah. Well, that's do, what I said. Do, do what needs to get Everyone done. Everyone like, must look at,
1: like, well, it, it, it just, it, look how it used to be. Well, what it used to be isn't what it is today. Like, exactly. the laws, regulations, people, mindset, everything has changed. Where everyone's just like, oh, it's just so propped up. Everything's propped up by the Fed. Because that's how the game is played now. Like, things constantly change. And if you constantly stay in the past the way things used to be or how they were in the past, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to sit here with a pile of cash and just sit there it's in the corner new, and be like, new world. oh, I can't yeah. buy anything now. I mean, we know a guy that he's like, oh, what do you guys think of this real estate or the stock market? I, once it got to 17, I sold everything and like <laughs> it's waiting for it to crash. Like, What do we at today? 35, 30, 40? Like, we're up almost double what it was and now, but once you step out, people sit still and be like, oh, no, it's going to crash. It's going to crash. I know it's going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. And then it never does and then you just missed out on the entire gain and yeah. then now you're even more fearful like, well, I missed out on this last rise. If I put it in today, then it's just going to fall and then it falls and I lost everything and so that's why they say like the best thing to do is like you just buy pieces over time and to help sustain when it comes like stocks and stuff but I mean you can't get stuck of how it used to be and what it was you have to look at it what is it today what is the investor's mentality today what is the consumer's mentality today what's going on around the world in different parts is that going to affect it because new laws and regulations are going to come out around that politicians jobs are to make laws about something so they got to find something to make laws about. And you kind of got to look at where is their attention and what are they going to do? And that's yeah. a point that we talk about in the show or why we do this show is like, what is going out in the world for, reg- we try not to get in politics, but politics influence policy, policy influences business, well, which We we don't get into us.
0: politics as far as giving our opinion on what's good or bad politics. It's more about, you know, what is the policies and how could they affect your business and real estate? And- going back to you know is this market going to crash are we in a bubble i think the biggest question to ask yourself is what data do i need to start keeping an eye on so i determine this for myself because if you are somebody that is going based off of whatever some talking head somewhere is saying you're always going to either be late or you're going to be in a world of hurt right you need to understand like the real estate bubble of the real estate crash, you got to understand what, how can it crash? Well, people are overpaying. Yes, people are overpaying for a home 100%, but they can afford
1: to. But it's one of the things they look at like, okay, they overpaid today. Well, somebody that overbid $20,000 or what something appraised for back in, let's say, July of 2020 is sitting pretty now. Yeah, on equity, it's like, oh man, I could sell this house and make like an extra forty thousand dollars over what it was. Exactly. I mean, I told you the scenario of this guy that I, I was working with uh, as a buyer. Like, I looked at the exact same house in December. It sold for, or in, in it was like August. It was when's listed two seventy, sold two eighty. Same exact house in one of those new build communities, listed in December for two eighty, sold for two ninety. They listed the house at two ninety five and they had cash offers over three twenty. Yeah. And it's like so every couple months it was just increasing in price. So that guy that bought and paid ten thousand more in August of last year for two eighty, that same exact house four months later, yeah. is now selling for three hundred and twenty thousand on the full same floor plan and same conditions, everything. So it's just one of the things like and that's what the also the rising interest rates is trying to slow down right. is those kind of things like it needs but they can't slam the brakes because consumer mentality can stop one area that i i am concerned about is these massive rise in rents because there's nobody that's no data that i can find because it's it's usually your mom and pop people that uh own the majority of the houses they're not reporting what are your underwriting guidelines for your tenants we say we don't take a property unless they have three a good job that proves three times gross income to rent. That's kind of your standard. Some people say they want four, but you can't find good tenants at four. Right. So you got to lower it to three. But then you have pressure of higher taxes, so you raise your interest rates, and you can't find a tenant, and it's starting to hurt your pocketbook making those payments out of tenant. So you say, mm, I'll go down to 2.8 rents. I'll just kind of – just just for now, I'll just do that. And then it goes from 2.8 to 2.6 to 2.7, 2.4. You're looking for whoever can pay. Whoever it. can pay. Yeah. and then But now you look at – because you're trying to get these higher prices. That is an area of concern for me is if these labor shortages and things like that to where your tenant can't pay. That's where I can see that it can hurt the real estate and the investment industry is your underwriting guidelines to tenants starts to deteriorate and they lose their jobs and you stop getting income growth and say people start slowing down and you can't find tenants to, or you do cash out refinances. Yeah, rents are flying through the roof right now, but you do cash out refinance because you see all this equity and stuff like that. You take all that money, payment goes up. Cause you're thinking you're going to constantly get this and now it starts to slide back down right. or you can't afford it. Or you say like, well now I'm breaking even and now I got repairs that I can't afford. Cause I mean, we always say like, Hey, rents don't really drop. Well, they haven't in the past, but they haven't been going up 10% year over yeah. year for two years
0: yeah. in the past either. Even so, more. I mean, there's been areas that we've seen rents jump from one, from one year to the next by four or $500 you know, you're talking about 25% jump in some yeah. areas. So it's like, so now you're saying, what if renters are not, are not able to afford it? My question is, what if regulation starts coming down on landlords that they cannot be charging these high rents? Like, you like know. Rent control. Yeah, a little, because we've seen it in New York, right? Now they're proposing, a, they did it before and they're trying to propose it again, where, you can, as a landlord, never evict a tenant. Doesn't matter what the reason is. You cannot evict a tenant, not even off an Airbnb. So pretty much if somebody makes it to your house, they'll be there forever. Right? So I'm like, the you know, when we talk about bubbles and market crashes, you got to look at locally as well. Policy, people, migration, because you're going to have markets crash in some areas, and you're going to have markets boom in other areas where people are going, where regulation is better. So if we see more rent control, more things like that, we're going to see investors start leaving those markets. We're going to see the market shift. We're going to see demand shift because it's going to be something that's like, this doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. So I even heard of, uh, there's a proposal for a bill here in, in San Antonio or Texas, or all of Texas, where they want to get rid of property taxes altogether. They want to get rid of property taxes and they want to bring in, uh, make marijuana legal and bring in casinos to make up the difference. So I was like, those are something that as an investor, like if they get rid of property taxes.
1: You want to talk about the boom in prices you would have in Texas (laughs) if you eliminated property tax? Because property taxes, like go back to our same thing. It it all comes down to that payment. And when property tax goes from $400 of that payment down to $100 of that payment, that means your ability to afford is going to rise drastically. So your run on properties, I mean, that's what happened in California, how it got so high out there is it froze the property taxes when you bought the house, and that's when things really took off. And they reset once you sold, but they froze it once you bought. So like yeah. that's when you're gonna see like a lot of things take off. They get rid of property taxes, and it's like, man, the the run on property would be absolutely insane. If they did that, I'd be like, screw it, buy anything and everything right now because yeah. the values are about to just scream through the roof in the next five years as those prices start adjusting and people start realizing the amount of price they can afford. Well, Uh and
0: that's why, you know, the majority of the properties we have, most of them, we don't want to flip. We don't want to sell because we see this coming. We see the the amount of growth that Texas has the potential for that's like, man, these prices are not going to slow down, at least in this market, anytime soon. Other markets, California, New York, they're different. You got to look at those markets, but the Texas market affordability. And then, I mean, I, I don't know if you had an article or not, but like the whole crisis that we have right now with Russia and the Ukraine. Right there, the war, everything that's going on over there, that's already affecting oil prices, which affects gas, which affects transportation, which affects, affects consumer. It, yeah. it affects everything. So, it, and that further increases inflation. Yep. You it's going to
1: further increase housing prices because, like, how does lumber get from Canada to here? Because you had that trucker convoy, and you have yeah. people in the United States doing the same thing, where they're like truckers are banding together, and you take fifty thousand trucks out of the ability to transport lumber. Where's lumber go? Goes through the roof because now they got to pay more to get that stuff here to incentivize that ten of those truckers or a thousand of those truckers to say, guys, I, I get, I'm all for this, but I'm gonna make an extra ten grand hole in this load. Like I'm bought, I'm paid. Like they they've bought my loyalty to break this to go to do that, yeah. and that just gets passed down the line. Yeah. So at one of the new build communities that uh, we toured this last weekend, <clears throat> the exact same house in December of 2020 was selling for 280. And that house now is rising to, is at 380? And he's like, well, I was like, it's not that we're trying to make more. It's like, it's costing more to build, but it's also, we are in a business to make money and we continue to raise prices because people continue to, pay those prices well we have a supply and demand we have inventory like we need to get rid of it and when we some of the new builds we went and toured like dr hortons and kbs like out near the stone oak area he's like oh dude we're like our closest house is going to be done in july and we have six people on the waiting list for the house from when we make it available And it's like a lot of them like I, I asked him he's like oh we got some more inventory coming in uh in may like inventory ready to buy and move into it was, oh no 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 like to buy just a lot The house probably won't be done for six eight nine months beyond that like oh my god he's like and that's why prices continue to increase because that is not sustained that is like man if they're willing to pay it i'm going to keep raising the prices because now raising the prices makes more money to where they can go buy more land to build more houses. Yeah. That's their job is to build houses. So, like, a lot of those things do make a case for it. And now one thing you were interested on, um, that I mentioned that somebody tried to make a case for how this Ukraine conflict could lead to lower mortgage rates in the short term. Because you have your typical flight when you – I mean, you've seen it the, the – um, I think the NASDAQ is in correction territory, almost touching bear market down 20%. And there's been a flight to safety. When markets crash, there's a flight to safety. That's why you see interest rates or, or bonds being purchased to look for safety and safe havens if this goes out of control. Right. Well, when they start buying a lot of bonds, what's it do to do the price of bonds? It drives them down. The interest rate goes down. So the mortgage rates are tied to the 10-year treasury loosely, but they are. And as if the 10-year treasury were to continue to drop, that could push down mortgage rates for the short term while right. people are doing the flight to safety and a lot of money's transferring over. And I was like, oh, hmm. that's an interesting way to think about it because now you got this headwind of where the Fed wants to raise interest rates, slow down the housing market, but then you have massive buying of, of these bonds and stuff like that pushing down interest rates in housing market mortgage-backed securities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that can put mortgage rates down, which could further increase the buying power of the end consumer, pushing prices up even more. So I was like, huh interesting thought. So it really just kind of like how long does that go on over there and does that come to fruition? Because yeah. They can't guarantee that's going to happen, but he's like, well, if you look at a traditional sense, when there's a flight to safety, interest rates fall and they want to rise interest rates to slow down inflation, but they can't, they're doing it, but you have those bonds being
0: picked up, holding interest rates down. Well, and that's what we're seeing too, is that because real estate has been doing so amazingly these past couple of years, we're seeing more and more people kind of flying to real estate willing to pay because they don't care as long as it's in a hard asset that keeps going up and keeps appreciating. And I've spoken to a few buyers that reached out to us for, you know, wholesale deals and stuff. And they're like, I'll buy close to retail. You know, I just, I I need to park the money. I need to have it put somewhere and all this. And I'm like, yeah, if you, if you need, you know, if you need, if you have the capital and you can park it and just have it sitting there, um real estate is definitely the place right now that you want to park it because uh it, it really it's one of those things that it doesn't matter almost which way everything goes unless there's a massive you know market impact something crazy happens real estate is going to keep going up you know it's going, and, and you got to look at again affordability higher interest rates higher gas prices all these things are going to cause a flight to affordability texas florida you got to look at do your research these markets the the sunbelt states i mean that's what i said money is flying to
1: the southeast and the midwest because that's where affordability is still there and you can still get higher rents yeah
0: so did you have another article Uh, Oh no
1: not really i mean we kind of covered each i mean well i guess i do have one on that of like people saying oh all these buyers all these investment companies are buying all the property up and this was put out by uh the business journal and i'll kind of read through this one because it it's short and it uh, really breaks it down well. So investors continue to snap up homes at a record rate at the end of 2021, buying $49.9 billion in homes in the last three months of 2021 alone. In total, investors, which include anyone from so-called mom-and-pop, part-time landlords to private equity gains, made up a full 18.4% of home sales in the fourth quarter, which is a record according to the Seattle-based Redfin Corporation. Billions have been raised to deploy into the single-family rental market and related, but somewhat different, the build-to-rent business. There are a lot of variables at play, especially with the Federal Reserve expecting to raise interest rates this year. That will cool down, d- down demand for housing. Uh, Daryl Fayweather, Chief Economist for Redfin, said, at the t- same time rents are going up which makes it an attractive for investors to buy houses newport beach california-based commercial real estate analytics firm green street in january found institutions own about three percent of total single family rental stock meaning which individual owners of one to two homes continue to represent the vast majority of single family rentals owned in the united states and that's that mm-hmm. piece i was talking about I was like oh, all these investors like 97% are still owned by people that own one or two. Like, they consider us institutional institutional landlords. Right? It's kind of funny. Like, I'm an institutional buyer. I'm thinking, like, uh, Blackstone or something. I think right. Institutional Innovation Homes or uh, American Home for Rent. Like, no, you own more than, like, three homes. They consider you an institutional landlord. So – The vast majority, 97%, are still owned by one or two people, and that's what my worry when it comes to underwriting standards of rents. I can get what the institutional people are underwriting and doing for rents. I mean, the publicly traded companies, they post those things, and that you can see that. But it's the other 97% are what are they underwriting to with these higher rents. That worry me because they just need somebody to rent. They don't have a back uh, backing of Wall Street to say I can wait to find that good tenant that can pay eighteen hundred a month. Yeah, I can
0: take a loss, or I, yeah, I can September, wait a minute to yeah. get them in there.
1: But like, if you have one or two homes, like, and you only have three months of reserve saved up, I'm gonna take whoever I can get to pay that thing. All right. So that that is a uh, a concern. So it was expected institutional ownership of single family rentals will continue to grow, especially as more capital enters the single family rental sector. So it's always my argument when people say, oh, it's these big institutionals that are driving up. Yes, they made up for 18% of the sales, and that is a record high. Money is moving into it, but they still only own 3% of homes. Yeah, It's still very, very, very small percentage of what it is, so it's still not driven by Wall Street money. While it doesn't help the situation for rising prices, it's not the, the main driver either. So that was really the last article I had that uh, of some topics that... No,
0: but the, the, it's a very interesting point of just kind of... Contemplate, kind of, you know, when you're you're an investor buying real estate, we always say don't be a motivated buyer, right? If you're not buying something that makes sense, that you are gonna have the equity built into it, you're gonna have a good cash flowing amount, or you have the capital yourself and you have the knowledge to say, yeah, I know I might be tight on cash flow or negative, but I have the money to flow. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm investing in. Don't take those unnecessary risks. Like to me, it's just something that's like it makes no damn sense to me. You know, there's no need to take that level of risk. There's no need to buy, get yourself into a property that as soon as you buy it, you get, need to get it rented to whoever possible as fast as possible because if not, you're underwater. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're putting yourself in those positions, you need to think twice about your strategy. You you obviously should not be doing that investment at this moment. You don't have the backing, you don't have the capital. Be smart, be patient you know, build up that that network or build up the capital, build up the knowledge where you can tackle something like that and not lose your ass on it, you yep. know? Because I mean, I've seen investors when their investments go bad and it's it's sad. It's really sad, you see it, and they're losing a lot of money. And these guys, as much as you want to call them institutional, they're not institutional, yeah. you know, it's just, a, they own a few rentals and they're trying to just- I can't get a hundred million dollar line of credit from Wells Fargo to shore up their balance sheet for exactly. six months, eight months
1: to help things. They don't have a line, a tap to the federal reserve and say, Hey buddy, can you give me a big line of credit? I kind
0: of got, got a yeah. little overstretched here. Yeah. And they so. have, yeah, and they can do it. But one of the topics I wanted to hit on is based on that is how do you market for deals in 2022? So I I wanted to break it down into a few different categories. So one of them is pretty much if you are, and you can be, uh, we had to do this. We used to only do flipping and buy and hold. And when the pandemic happened, we used to get all of our deals beforehand from wholesalers, from our our network, from referrals. That's where we used to buy all of our deals. When this happened, all of that went out the window and we had to revamp and we had to bring back our wholesaling roots and go get back to marketing. We had to go direct to seller. We needed to start marketing, generating deals. That's why we we started. We actually opened up where you can apply to be one of our VIP buyers. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, drop a message. I'll let you know where to go. But you can be one of our VIP buyers, and um, in doing that, we are able to. Essentially, cherry pick the investments that we want, negotiate them the way that we need it so we can acquire the properties that we need to keep our business growing, acquiring rentals and doing all that. So when you're going direct to seller, one of the biggest changes that we've seen recently is that that shy away from, you know, Joe wants to buy your house or my wife and I want to buy your house that we saw for many years. We were doing that type of marketing where it was. They didn't want to sell to an institution. They didn't want to sell to a business. They wanted to sell to somebody local, somebody they knew, somebody that's just a one-on-one transaction. You know, like They wanted that kind of simplicity. They wanted that. That's what sellers were looking for. What we're seeing now is that they're looking for the big buyers yeah. because there's so many of the little ones that they don't know who to trust anymore. So now they want to see that you do have credibility. They want to see that you have a website, that you have a business. They can look you they, up. They can find you, they can search you, that you have a, a better business bureau reviews and and, and accreditation. And they want to know that you're a business. That's why you're seeing companies like Open Door and Offerpad and all these are picking up properties like crazy because people are more comfortable dealing with a business then they are dealing with an individual. So if you're doing any type of direct to seller marketing, that's one of the shifts that we've seen at least in our market. Your market could be different, uh, but in our market, you you need to come up. You need to come to them as a business. So we approach them as you know Prime Home Solutions, and we're letting them know who we are. They know you know when we send our, our mail stuff like that. Everything has our brand on it, our company name. They can look us up. We're everywhere. You understand? And that has been uh, very helpful, especially with the older uh, sellers. They they want that credibility. So if you're doing any direct to seller marketing, you got to keep that in mind. That whole, you know, Joey wants to buy your house. It's not working anymore. It's not working. This is in 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to step up and you got to put a, get a company, get a, you know, start branding it and you got to get out there. You got to get out there with your company. Now, if you can't do direct to seller marketing, right? You're maybe you're a fix and flip buy and hold investor, and you just don't have the time to do it. Before, we used to go for wholesalers. Right now, a lot of wholesalers—they suck, right? They're terrible wholesalers. So the reason they're being regulated is because (laughs) people are getting screwed over. Exactly. So the ones that I recommend you search for are the single wholesalers. These these not the company of wholesalers, because those company of wholesalers, they're in it for that bottom bottom line, you know, get it as low as possible, sell it as high as possible. Screw anybody that, you know, that gets affected in between. They don't give a damn. It's just bottom line profits. So they're not going to care about bringing you a good property or anything like that. They're just going to put it out there. Whoever bids the most gets the property. But if you're going after individual wholesalers, somebody that is just them, and they're trying to build a brand, they're trying to build a name for themselves, you see that they're good people and everything, then you gotta become their premium buyer, right? You gotta tell them like, hey, I want this type of property, these areas, this thing, I want it, I want it like this, like this, like this. You bring me that property, I will buy it every day of the week. Because now you become a, a VIP buyer for them, so it makes their their business much easier. Now they know exactly where to market because they have a buyer already lined up for that. So you can become that buyer for them. And another thing that a lot of these wholesalers need is capital for marketing. So if you're a buyer that you don't have the time to do the marketing but you have the capital, find a wholesaler that doesn't have the capital but has the time and fund their marketing. Fund the marketing and you tell them everything that comes out, we're gonna split, obviously, because you're paying for the marketing and everything but you're giving them the money and they're chasing down the deals. They're negotiating, they're doing everything and they're bringing you deals that you want. Mm. So if you're hurting for deals, if you're right now, those are the strategies that are working. They're working for us. They're Mm. working for a lot of people that I know. And the last one, if you have no money, nothing, I, I put out that video this past week, reverse wholesaling. You know, that strategy works. You build your buyer's list. You go to your buyer's list, ask them what they want. You find the properties that they're looking for. You ask them, how do you negotiate it? They'll let you know about repairs. They'll let you know what price they're willing to pay. You work your way a little finder's fee in there. You get paid. The next one is going to be easier. You're going to be able to do it perhaps on your own and make it, maybe make you a little bit more of a fee. And the next one and the next one, you go learning the process while you're making money. Don't get too crazy because then you get regulators
1: in there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and
0: unfortunately for everybody... Regulation is gonna come. It's gonna come down to everybody. It's gonna regulators hit. need to regulate.
1: I mean, yeah. it's kind of where it's gonna be, and they go to where the attention is. And unfortunately, enough attention has been brought to wholesaling by whatever means. If it's people making too much money, people getting drove into foreclosure, whatever it is, it's there. And usually,
0: regulators overregulate. Yeah, the oh, that's of the, the problem. I so, mean, because
1: yeah. well, you start seeing it too. Like I think it's like Philadelphia that, in you can't. Wholesale, like they've literally banned wholesale. I don't know how they did it or what they do, but they outlawed wholesaling in that municipality, which is crazy. The fact that a municipality even has that power to control things like that. But that's also, I made the point last week, like real estate is very hard industry to disrupt. Yeah. And we're like, oh, just one size fits all Uber of real estate's going to come through and come through the entire nation and eliminate all these things. Like, no, because it can be regulated on the federal, the state, the local and the municipality levels of rules can be put into it. Well, so we
0: saw we just saw Zillow pretty much shut down their whole iBuyer program because they were losing millions of dollars. I saw something.
1: Uh, I didn't click on the article and read it, but the headline was that open door lost more money than
0: Zillow. Well, they did last year they did that. They're yeah, always yeah, losing like, open door but- and all these companies, they're they're a Ponzi scheme. The yeah. only way they make money is by raising the next round yeah. bigger than the last one. It like they're yeah, a because like Ponzi Zillow scheme. is
1: like they make money. And they're like, Okay, we see this like this is affecting our core business. We're sinking yeah. too much money to this, it's not being profitable. We're gonna pull out of this. We're open door, like their whole job is to do that. So it's like, Well, it's our whole
0: business, we have to do
1: it. So
0: Yeah. No, it's funny when I see, when I'm pulling comps for properties that we're selling. And I see property from open door and stuff. A lot of their properties sit much longer on the market than our properties do. No, but their and prices, it's...
1: they they drive a lot of comps, yeah. like significantly higher. That just happened to us on one of our properties where we're thinking it's worth two thirty, And we were debating like, ah, I think we're just going to sell this one off right now. It repairs are a little higher than we anticipated. Uh, We're just going to put it on the market and sell it. And all of a sudden check the comps and an open door properties in under contract for 15 grand higher. Like it sat for a month and a half to find that buyer. Yeah. But they found that buyer and it pushed the prices 15 grand. I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to think twice about selling this one off now because, uh, that thing sells at that price and it, yeah. they're getting it. That's yeah. the thing It's like, they're driving those prices and they're getting conventional mortgages because they turn these things so fast versus FHA. They have a little more stricter guidelines.
0: So prices will increase and like, we're going to keep stuff. Yep. So once again, guys, if you've been enjoying this, make sure you subscribe and hit that thumbs up button. It helps us out a lot. And if you're in the San Antonio area, text property tour to two one zero seven nine four nine eight nine eight. And you can join us whenever we do property tours of projects we just acquired. So you can see the pre rehab process, the rehab process and the post rehab process. We do it all stages. You can ask all the questions you want. We're usually there, you know, that we try to keep them short, but they tend to last a few hours. Uh, <sighs> But we're always there to help and uh, try to show you guys what it really is to be a real estate investor, not just the hype and the fluff and all the crap that you see on you know social media and everything. This is really how it goes, the numbers, the process, the headaches. It's all, you know, real. So with that being said, that is it for today's show. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss the next one. Uh, and we will be bringing on more guests with different uh, experiences and backgrounds. And I'll try to find somebody that knows how to do novation agreements or has done them. And we'll ask them questions and we'll you know, pick their brains for a little bit and see how, how that process works and how it goes. So thank you all for watching. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.